Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Uh, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, he is risen. Oh, you're getting better and better. All right. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, Andrew's already read that text to us this morning, and that's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, The title of today's message is Believing Again. Uh, Believing Again. How many of us in the room have ever had the experience of uh, you believe something, and then for any number of reasons, uh, you either stop believing something you lose grip with belief, uh, you can't believe, and then something else happens. Maybe it's just time passes. Maybe you grow in some way, and then you find yourself believing again what you previously disbelieved, but you believed at the very beginning. Anybody ever had those kinds of moments? That's what I'm gonna talk to you about this morning. Uh, that is one of the things that's dead center of the frame in the text this morning from Luke 24. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about some stuff that uh, I believed in, that I stopped believing, and now that I'm believing again. Maybe these will be things that you resonate with. Uh, The first thing that's on my list is school. (laughs) School. Uh, When I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, I loved school. And then, then I, and I not only loved it, but I was like, this is great. This is, you know, there's friends here and you learn and it's exciting and there's knowledge and uh, they let us watch cool, like, I remember in elementary school, we watched these cool like painting videos. Like the teacher would put these things up and we would do art. It was just very great. And then at a certain point, you stop believing in school. And you're like, this sucks. Like, you know, this is not good. And I realized after some reflection a few days ago, that the reason I started hating school and stopped believing in school was because my eighth and ninth grade years were absolutely terrifying. Like my ninth grade year at Taylor County High School was pure survival. And if you were, if you're in your mid forties and you went, there's a few people in here shaking their heads. Yes, I'm telling you it was a war zone on my first day of my ninth grade year. I walk into the high school, I see two girls fighting. One girl has a spike ring on and is mangling this girl's face. It's the UFC. I'm talking, you walk in, it's the U- there's blood everywhere. No one's stopping anything. They're like, they'll figure it out themselves. I mean, literally, this is the way it was. And from that moment on, I was like, you're just like, your, your, your survival stuff kicks in and your, your, your head's on a swivel. 24-7, you're like, I no longer believe in this institution. Whatever this is, like, they're supposed to be educating us. This is prison. Y'all ever seen Prison Break? That was my high school, right? That is, and you think, well, he's, he's exaggerating because he's preaching. I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm, there's other people who are here. It was crazy. School, that's something I believed in as a little kid. I stopped believing in. And then as I got older, I started, learn, I started to love learning again and I believe in school again. I'm like, man, I believe in school. And I believe in it for all kinds of reasons now. I believe like, man, we just need to always be lifelong learners. I also believe that like school's 
one of maybe the only places some kids in Campbellsville are gonna be cared for, like at all, ever. And so I just believe in it again. So I believed, I, I kind of like stopped believing, became antagonistic towards, and now I believe again. Um, uh, number two, dogs. <laughs> kids just love dogs. I mean, if you're a kid, you love dogs. You love puppies, you love big dogs, it doesn't matter. But then you grow up and you get a job and you get a spouse and you have a kid and then you think about that dog and when you think about that dog, this is what you think. It's just one more responsibility. My God, like I've already got the yard to mow. Once a year we have to power wash our house because it grows algae in Kentucky. And the last thing I need is another dog. Like I, I just don't need another thing to feed, you know? It's gonna, it's gonna pee on my carpet and I have to feed it every day. And here's, here's, the, here's the thing about kids and dogs. Like at least kids grow up, you know? At least when they turn five, they can go in and take their own little shower. You just like go get some clean underwear and jump in the shower. And they basically do that. A dog never progresses. Like if you're, if you're good, if you're good, your dog stops peeing in the house. Like that's like, you got a great dog. It doesn't pee in the house anymore, but it can never feed itself. It can't even let itself out. Even if it wants to pee outside, you have to do it. And so you, you grow up, you get married, you have a kid and you're just like, man, this is just another, this is another thing for me to do. It's just another yard to mow, right? And it's never gonna learn. It's just, and then you have a kid that gets a little bit older and it begs. It says, you know, we want a dog because like I told you earlier, kids love all dogs, like puppies and pig, it doesn't matter. And, and you, you relent for a long time. You're like, no, we're not doing that. You can, you can, have, you can have a fish, you, you, you can have a snake. Like you feed it once, once a month, you know, that's better, like, you know. But then, you, then, then finally, finally you actually do relent and you buy the dog and here's what you find out. Uh, you, you find out, you find out that that dog is your best friend ever, you know? Uh, you, you find out, you find out that, that you believe in dogs again. Like the dog will watch basketball with you. Everybody else is doing other things. Like your wife hates basketball. She hates the playoffs. She doesn't care anything about it. She won't sit on the couch with you. There's, there's no snacks being made. But the, <laughs> But the dog will sit on the couch with you. It will come right next to you and it loves the playoffs. The dog loves the playoffs uh, and it's happy with you. Uh, the dog is happy with you even when everyone else in the house is not happy with you. When you fight with your wife, your dog, it, it will not turn its back on you. Like you, you, you can be in the dog house and the dog is like, this is great, we'll sleep together on the couch. <laughs> And that's what you find out. You find out that it's your greatest friend in life. Like you believed as a kid and then you stopped believing and then all of a sudden as an adult, you're like, I believe again. I believe in dogs. And I just want to say, if you're a parent, second time in like a month and a half, buy the dog. Buy the, don't, don't do that to your children. Buy the dog and it'll be your best friend too. Okay, uh, number three, Taylor Swift. <laughs> We're back to this. I was, talking to, I was talking to somebody this week. I was talking to somebody this week and we were talking about this. We were talking about believing, stopping believing, then believing again. And um, they remarked that they had a pretty dramatic belief cycle with Taylor. Uh, they said, you know, they said early on, they just, they just loved her. And they were like, this is great. And then at a certain point, they thought, 
this is, this is just mindless pop music. This is just, this is mind, it's hard candy, you know? It's sugar, it's, it's nothingness. And then, so then they, when they think, oh, it's just mindless pop music, they just sort of like let go of Taylor, right? But then the Spotify does, what Spotify does is it brings things back to you in weird ways. And she, she did some collabs. She did some collabs with Justin Vernon from Bon Iver. And she did some collabs with the dude from The National. And, and this person listened to those and was like, wait a minute, this is significant. And if Justin Vernon, and if the dudes from The National believe in Taylor, then I believe in Taylor, <laughs> right? And then you go back and you find out, you find out Taylor's actually good. And can I just tell you something for everybody who's in the room? Taylor Swift's actually good. She's actually good. Belief, losing touch with belief, and then believing again. I'm seeing a few people shake their heads. I'm telling you, before the end of this service, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. Yeah. Listen, if you die tonight, I'm just kidding. I will never do that here. I'd love to let you in, but you didn't believe in Taylor. I thought we had to believe in your son. Taylor. That's not the way it works, guys. I think for a lot of us in this room, if you're a Christian, I, I, I think we have this cycle with prayer as well. You know? If you pray long enough, here's what'll happen. You'll believe it works, and then you'll have a stretch in your life where like, this does not work. Prayer does nothing. And then, and then at a certain point, if you stay with it at all, you'll see something is happening underneath the surface. Underneath the surface. Here's what's even crazier than prayer. If you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll believe in him, and then you'll be like, I don't know. But if you'll stay with him, it'll come back around. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Is it okay if we just read the Luke text again? And here's the frame I want you to have in your mind while we're reading Luke 24, 1 through 12. I want you to have in your mind believing, losing grip with something, and then believing again. It goes like this. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They weren't cooking. They were going to embalm Jesus, okay? Different kind of thing. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, underlined puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, underlined the word terrified, uh, and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he'd rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense. Underline the word nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen, wrapping, empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again, wondering what had happened. A lot of things going on here. 
A lot of things going on here, but one of the central features here is that everybody in this story is out of whack. Everybody in this story is out of whack. Uh, many of us have grown up believing that resurrection makes everything make sense. Uh, many of us have grown up believing, oh, Easter is what makes the story make sense. Well, for everybody who lived the story, it made it make less sense. That's what's amazing about it. I hope you notice that in verse four, Luke uses the word puzzled. The women were puzzled. And then in verse five, he uses the word terrified. We, we oftentimes look back on this Jesus story and we talk about comfort. Uh, the, initial, the initial encounters with resurrection, the initial encounters with whatever happened to Jesus are not comfort and making sense. It's puzzlement and terror. Everybody in this story is out of whack. And then when the ladies tell the guys what had happened, uh, Luke says specifically, it sounded like nonsense to them. And, and very specifically, Luke says, they did not believe. They did not believe. Peter ran to the tomb and he came home more confused. Isn't this amazing? By the way, this is one of the reasons I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible because it tells the story in such a dead, honest way. You know, if you were, if you were, wanting, to, if you were wanting to create a pyramid scheme, on the resurrected body of Jesus. If you wanted to just make something up, uh, maybe make yourself a good California sex cult or something like that and make a lot of money, you wouldn't tell the story like this, would you? You wouldn't. This is one of the reasons I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible because everybody in the story is like scrambled. And I love this text because it's a picture of people just like us, frail, unbelieving, people who were trying hard, people who were bewildered in the moment, puzzled. They were also excited. And sometimes we think that the life of a disciple is only up and to the right. You know, here's what I wanna tell you this morning. Some of us have been doing this church thing for a while and, and you're, you're like, you're a little bit heavy because you thought that being a disciple of Jesus was just gonna be up and to the right and, and your life with Jesus has not been up and to the right or things seem more difficult or the things you used to believe seem impossible implausible now, or the things that used to seem so firmly in your grip, they just seem to be like water through your fingers. And here's what I want you to know. If that's you in the room this morning, good news. That was everybody who first woke up to the empty tomb. It's not always up and to the right. Some of us thought that once you believe in Jesus, that everything just sort of like flattens out and it all makes sense and life becomes predictable. But that's not the gospel story at all. It's not that way for resurrection. A couple more things about the people in the story this morning. Uh, number one, everybody in the text followed Jesus. So all of these terrified, confused, unbelieving people, they all followed Jesus for three and a half years. Everybody in the text followed Jesus. Um, they were close to Jesus. They were, they were as close to Jesus as you could be. Everybody who's terrified, everybody who's perplexed, everyone who's confused, everyone who's unbelieving were close to Jesus. Everybody followed Jesus. Uh, the ladies were close to Jesus and so were the guys. And in fact, you know, if you read Luke and actually if you read all the gospels, uh, the ladies show up better than the guys in every single gospel. It's, it's like all, across all four. You know, everybody's kind of like, a little bit of haywire, but the ones who are way less haywire are, are the girls. The guys are way more haywire. They are the ones who are really out of it. And everyone in this story 
is someone who followed Jesus and was close to Jesus. Um, not only that, but we know, we know from the gospels that these people loved Jesus. Uh, they served Jesus. Uh, the ladies in this story followed Jesus just like the disciples did, and they contributed to Jesus's ministry. Can we put up Luke chapter eight, one through three? I just wanna underline this. Luke chapter eight, verses one through three. This is another moment, but this is important. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour. Jesus went on tour, y'all. No bus though. Of the nearby towns and villages, he was preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him and among, uh, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, do these names sound familiar? Yeah, Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Aren't you glad your name isn't Chusa? Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others, look at this note, who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Like who had, who was giving Jesus money? It was the girls. They were, and what am I, what's the point here? The point here is these are people who followed Jesus. They loved Jesus. They served Jesus. They gave to Jesus. Like they did all the things that we try to tell people at church you got to do in order for your life with God to be good, right? And, and here's what I want to tell you. You can love Jesus, be close to Jesus, serve Jesus, give to Jesus. And, and the very things that seem so sure might come apart for a moment. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian or something has gone particularly wrong. It might be the normal life cycle of discipleship. Everyone, everyone. And here's what I love in this story that we read this morning from Luke 24. Not only were they close, loving, supporting, serving Jesus, somehow everyone had forgot what Jesus had said. It wasn't just that they lost heart when he was dead. Somehow they had completely forgotten the very, very plain words of Jesus, like the things he actually said. I wanna to read to you two things that Jesus said from the Gospel of Luke. And these are the words that people forget. So Luke chapter nine, 21 through 22. Luke chapter nine. Jesus warned his disciples. And by the way, who would have been with these disciples? The girls. Why? We already know that, right? Luke chapter eight. It wasn't just the 12. Jesus had like, he, he had an entourage. He was like Kanye. He, he, had, he traveled with people, you know? He warned the disciples not to tell anyone who he was. And then he says this, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. He'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He'll be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. Okay, let's go to the next section. Luke chapter 18, 31 through 33. Talking with the 12 disciples. Look, the girls would have been there too. Jesus said to them, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the son of man will come true. He'll be handed over to the Romans. Uh, he'll be mocked. He'll be treated shamefully and spit upon. They'll flog him with a whip and kill him, but on the third day, he'll rise again. Oh, isn't this wild? Isn't this wild? You love Jesus. You serve Jesus. You're close to Jesus. You give to Jesus. Uh, you believe in Jesus. And he tells you, guys, when we go to Jerusalem, ain't gonna go good for me. They're gonna kill me. 
But on the third day, I'll be back. And on the third day, the women and everybody who heard the story could not compute. Everyone forgot the plain words of Jesus. He could not have been clearer. So what do I want to say first thing this morning? First thing I want to say is this. Closeness to Jesus doesn't keep us clear or remembering or believing. I know some of us are like, this is a weird Easter message. Not only that, but in the case of Jesus, closeness doesn't always keep us loving Jesus. This is a sideways part of the story. Sometimes, sometimes we're close, devoted, loving, and serving, and we forget or we lose touch. And maybe, maybe we even lose things that we never imagined we could. Here's what I want to talk about now. I want to talk about things that cause us to forget or not understand. I don't think that anybody who was following Jesus intended on forgetting. I don't think anybody with Jesus was hoping to lose grip on the story. But, but here's what I know from my own life. Pain and disillusionment are a powerful thing. Pain will make you do things that you just never thought you'd do, you know? And there's two things that are happening for everybody in this story when Jesus was killed on the cross. Uh, number one, uh, it seems impossible. Jesus dead on the cross, even though he says, hey guys, they're gonna kill me. Uh, Jesus dead on the cross, it just seems impossible. It seems impossible because up to this point, everything that Jesus did was winning. He just, he just want, like, like Jesus healed every sick person. He kicked out every demon. He, he preached the best sermons. He, he walked on water. Like the guy saw him in the boat. Who's that? It's a ghost. No, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. He's walking on water. He can multiply food. He can, he can feed 5,000 from just a couple handfuls. And maybe there was another one, like 4,000. Maybe he did it a couple times. I don't know. It's pretty unclear in the gospels. But the dude can heal the sick. He can kick out demons. He can walk on water. He can multiply food. And he can raise the dead. They literally saw it. They saw him raise the dead. And so when you got dead Jesus hanging on the cross, like why do they forget what he said? Because it seems impossible. It seems like literally impossible. How is it that he could be losing? And then number two, just death in general. It, just death in general. It wasn't just that Jesus got beat up or he got a little pushback. Uh, it was that he got killed. And, and by killed, I mean stone cold dead. Uh, there's something about death. Death has a finality to it. And often when someone you love dies, it can cause it can cause the loved ones who are left behind to kind of freak out. Anybody in the room ever lost somebody close to you? It's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. It is a weird thing to see somebody who was one moment ago alive and then they're dead. And here's the weird thing. When you look at that body, you're like, they're not there. It, it's, it's, it's as though it's not even them. So you have the impossibility of everything that Jesus had been up to. And then there's just this finality that death has to it. Like, like no matter how much you love someone, if they die, they're just dead, you know? And you can hold their hand or whatever, but it's just, there's this crushing weight. And so you put those two things together and it can cause, it can cause the things that you'd been trusting most up to that point or the things that you had no trouble remembering, it can cause it to just like, 
goes straight out of your brain. Just like, how many of you have ever had like a traumatic experience and just like your brain locked? Anybody ever had that? Yeah, you know, as stress goes up, people do a few things. Fight, freeze, or flight, right? And sometimes we just freeze. That's kind of what we see in the gospels. People are just like, ah. Remember that on your worst day, okay? <laughs> now I want to talk to you about believing again. Because this is what I love about this story. It's regular people, people just like us. People who love and serve Jesus. But people who lost touch with, with their belief or their trust at some point. People whose hearts had faltered. But here's the good news for us this morning. Those people were not disqualified, rejected, or abandoned. Instead, their dead belief was revived just like the dead body of Jesus. In the Gospels, in the Gospels it's not just Jesus who dies, it's the disciples' faith that dies. It's not just Jesus who dies, it's, it's the women's trust who dies as well. Yet the same power that raised the Lord Jesus went about raising up the faith of those whose had faulted. Here's what I want to tell the church this morning. Your faith might leave you, your belief might abandon you, but Jesus never will. Your faith might leave you and your belief might abandon you, but Jesus Never will. And if you keep on reading Luke 24, so we read the first, the first 12 verses. If you keep reading the rest of Luke 24, what you find is the resurrected Jesus is walking around finding the saddest people and telling them he's alive. The rest of Luke 24 is Jesus walking out finding the people who loved him the most and who were the most heartbroken and Jesus saying, I'm actually back. If your faith has left you, okay, the good news is Jesus will never leave you. I just want to pop in on a couple moments in Luke 24. Luke 24, 17, two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. Y'all remember that? Two brokenhearted disciples, they're walking back home. They're leaving Jerusalem and Jesus shows up. They don't even know it's Jesus yet. Jesus shows up and says, Why? what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped, sadness written across their faces. By the way, they're talking to Jesus. And then in Luke 24, 35 through 40, this is Jesus appearing to his disciples. Then the two men from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Like, where do we find Jesus? Broken bread, right? And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. I love this. I love this. You might lose touch with your faith. You might lose touch with your belief. You might lose touch with the very things that are most dear to you about Jesus. And the good news is Jesus will not lose touch with you. He will pursue you. So what do you do? What do you do if your life with Jesus has not just been up and to the right? What do you do if you only have a little bit of faith? Uh, what do you do if you used to have a lot of faith 
and now you don't. What do you do maybe in, if you're in this room and you never had faith at all? Well, a few things seem important to me here. Number one, wait for Jesus. Everybody, everybody who's in this story, everybody meets Jesus again, every single person. So wait for Jesus. Uh, number two, uh, go back to where you last found him. The, the ladies went back to the tomb, right? Like, just go back to where you, where you last met him. Wait for Jesus, go back to where you last met him. And, and then number three, one of the things that we see consistently in Luke is, don't wait alone. Everybody who meets Jesus again, uh, meets him with other people. Uh, the ladies are together. The disciples are together. The two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is met in community. Here's what I wanna tell you about church. This is what I wanna tell you about this church. You don't have to believe anything to come to this church. You don't have to believe anything to be a member of this church. Here's what I believe. I believe that if you wait with us, what we believe will become what you believe, even in your weakest moment. Why? Because Jesus is here among us today. And when we gather at home group, Jesus said, if a couple of you get together, I'll be there also. Uh, if you're losing touch with things that used to make sense, wait for Jesus. Go back to where you last found him and wait in community. Wait in community. As we wait together, he will come to us. Don't wait in isolation. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, one and two. He says, therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially sin that so easily entangles and trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. This is what I love. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who's the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Can I tell you something about the faith that you uh, have, the faith that you had, or the faith that you want to have? It's not even your faith. It's Jesus. He initiates faith. Uh, you don't save yourself. Uh, believing in Jesus doesn't save you. It's Jesus who saves you. He is the initiator and he's the perfecter. Other, other translations say author and what? Finisher. Author and finisher. Just just wait for Jesus. We wait for Jesus. We look for Jesus because he initiates and he perfects our faith. Uh, and we can have confidence when we don't because it's not, our, it's not our trying and it's not our faith that saves us. It's always Jesus who saves us. Uh, it's not my belief that saves me. It's Jesus that saves me. This is the actual gospel. Some of us grew up in churches that said things that were basically this. Like you need, to, you need to pray the magic prayer, you know? Pray the magic prayer and then you won't go to hell. Or, or if you, you gotta believe, you know? You gotta believe and, and if you believe the right things and if you can say the magic incantation, it's like Harry Potter, basically. A lot of us grew up with Harry Potter, uh, Heather, Harry Potter, Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you, it's, it's not that. 
Uh, the, the thing that saves you is not even my ability to believe. It is Jesus who saves me. And even on my day where I do not believe, it is, it is the pursuing Jesus. Luke 24, Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus with no hope left, Jesus appears and they don't even recognize him and he is walking with them. Some of us here have broken hearts and we have let go of faith and we think we're on this journey alone. And the truth is, is Jesus is standing right next to you and you may not recognize him yet and he will save you. He is the one. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that, that the ones that I have in my hand, no one can get them out. No one can get them out. Like you can lose grip of your faith, but there, there, is, a, there is a grace that has a grip, a hold of you that can never be let go. And it is him. It is him. It is Jesus who saves Jesus said that he'd leave the 99 to go find the one. Uh, what do I hear in that? He'll circle back. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He will leave the 99 to go find the one. He will circle back. This morning, if you're here and you're at rock bottom, here's what I want you to know. He will come find you. He will come find you. Uh, if you're at the rock bottom of relationships, if you're at the rock bottom of addiction, some of us in the room have have addiction and it's ruining our life. It's literally ruining our life. And we feel so much shame. We feel like, oh my goodness, not only am I ruining my present life, but I'm probably ruining the afterlife. Like I'm in hell now and I'm probably going to get hell later. Hey, good news. Good news. Jesus loves addicts and he will come get you and he will come get you either in this life or the next. Put your trust in him to the best that you can and he will not leave you at the bottom. He will not leave you at the bottom. It is, not, it is not how good you are that will get you anywhere. It is how good he is. It is not how strong you are. It is how strong he is. It is not how much faith you can muster. It's how much faith that he has. It's not how much trust that you can have. It is, it is the overwhelming, pursuing, never-ending love of God that will grab a hold of you. And it doesn't matter where you're at. That's the thing that will make the difference. And you can believe, you can, you can lose touch with it, but Jesus will show back up. Some of us in the room are like, you know what? I tried to get rid of Jesus and he came back to me. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. The gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus left heaven and was born a tender child that the sons and daughters of men might become heirs of God. Like Jesus is used to making long trips, y'all. Jesus left heaven that everybody might become sons and daughters of God. If you're losing your grip on faith, the good news is you can let go and know that you're held in a stronger grip. Can I tell you something? Try, trying harder won't work. Trying harder doesn't work in anything. In anything, like trying, trying to believe in Jesus more doesn't work. Stop it. Uh, trying to not be angry doesn't work. Anybody in the room ever tried to, be, tried to quit being angry? You know what happens? You become more angry. You know why? Because you're frustrated that you can't quit being angry. You can't do it. You got you to come at these things through the side door. You know, nobody gets over anger by addressing anger. Nope, got to come through the side door. Uh, nobody, nobody has flourishing faith by trying harder. Let go. It's the grip of Jesus 
that overcomes the grave. The power that raised him can raise you even today. So what do we do? What do we do, church? We wait for Jesus. That's what we do. And in this room, uh, you might be here and you might be doing well. And in fact, that's probably most of us. Most of us are in the room and we're doing well. And you're like, well, why are you, why are you preaching a sermon like this if most of us are probably doing well? Because I know how torturing it can be to think you've lost the essential thing. I know what it's like to feel like you've lost the essential thing. And I want you to know this morning that the essential one will not let go of you. Maybe you're here and you have no faith or very little. Here's what I want you to know. God is pursuing you. Maybe you're waking up to that even now. I, I've told this story a few times. I'll just tell it really, really briefly here. Y'all, I had, I had two and a half years while I was pastoring this church and preaching every Sunday, and I thought I had lost my faith. I was like standing up here telling people all kinds of stuff. I didn't believe any of it. And let me tell you, that's torture. That's torture. That's torture. I had even stopped praying. I was the pastor of this church, and I didn't pray for two and a half years. And one morning, I went into my little room, and I sat on my couch, and I'd started this practice. I couldn't pray anymore, but I'd started this thing I called sitting with Jesus. So I sat down, and I was like, okay, I don't even know if you're here. That was usually my prayer, by the way. And I would sit there. And one morning, the Spirit of Jesus, one morning, the Spirit of Jesus came to me, and he said, Adam, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. What do you want to say? And it was as though the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, it was as though he said, do you know what your problem is? And I said, no, I do not know what my problem is. And I got this word from Jesus. He said, you're afraid that you're more merciful than me. There was a lot of context behind that. And it went right to the center of me. And I was like, that is correct. That is the thing that's been killing me for two and a half years. I've been afraid I was more merciful than you. And I heard the voice of Jesus, internal, not audible, internal, by the Spirit. I heard the voice of Jesus say, you are not more merciful than me. My name is mercy. I know what it's like to feel like you've lost the essential thing. And here's what I know. Just like on the road to Emmaus, and just like the disciples who have locked their doors from fear, Jesus shows up to us no matter what. If you're doing good this morning, praise God. Maybe you're here and you, you're struggling. I just want you to know God's pursuing you. And maybe you're here and you've been bushwhacked. If you don't understand it, you don't know what it means. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe you're here and you've been bushwhacked by life. And maybe, maybe the pain and disappointments have thrown water on your fire for God. Here's what I want you to know. You, you can believe again. Not by trying harder, but by waiting on Jesus. Not by trying harder, by waiting on Jesus. And the good news is this, he's here. He's actually here today. And Jesus came back from the dead and he is here by the spirit. And the, everything that's dead, everything that's lifeless, everything that's decayed, everything that is not right is vulnerable to the touch of resurrection. God only raises up dead things. God doesn't raise up alive things. Resurrection only happens to dead 
things. So whatever it is in your life this morning that is dead, whatever is dissolving, whatever is decaying, whatever is not working is a thing that is vulnerable to the touch of resurrection. This is the gospel. Amen. Hey, here's what I want to do this morning. If you're on the band, come on up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.